0: Good morning. I should do the obligatory, is this thing on? <laughs> is it on? Can you hear me? Say again? It's on my face, but oh, it's on the speakers as well. Wow, that is loud. Good morning, everybody. Please turn your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm just catching my breath quickly because I was running around. So, pro tip for everybody whenever you need to preach, don't run around beforehand. Just don't run. I learned that today. But last week we started, or well, we started our study here in this final section of this chapter, um, there in verse 18, and we got about halfway. And I told you last week that the purpose of this passage is to show us that even though Jesus suffered unjustly at the hands of a bunch of unbelievers, a bunch of sinners, and he was humiliated beyond anything that we can know or even understand, um, that he finally achieved the greatest victory over his enemies, over sin, and over death itself, which is amazing. You see, and I keep reminding you of this when, whenever we go through this, but it's important to keep in mind that Peter was writing this to Christians that were going through some terrible persecution and suffering. And so they were discouraged, as you can imagine. And so Peter was writing this to them to encourage them. And he does that by continuously turning their eyes to Jesus. Over and over again, he turns their eyes to Jesus to let them see that they can still triumph even though they are going through uh, the suffering that they're experiencing. So all is not lost. All hope is not lost. Uh, it's not useless. You know, because just like them, Jesus also suffered unjustly. He also suffered persecution. And, and in all of that, <clears throat> he glorified God. And he achieved a great victory uh, when, he, when he did so. And so, like we saw before, Jesus becomes the believer's example um, that we can also triumph whenever we are going through suffering. Uh, and especially unjust suffering. Now, we see how Peter makes the connection. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, he makes the connection starting there in verse 17, the connection between um, a believer's suffering and Jesus' suffering. Verse 17, he says, For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Now, you will remember that Peter was telling these people in the verses prior to verse 17 how to go through unjust suffering if that uh, were to hit them. And then he tells them here that if it is the will of God and God, God's will allows you to go through some unjust suffering, then it is better for you to go through it because of the good things that you've done rather than because of the evil things that you've done. And I think we understand that. That, that makes perfect sense. It's a very plain concept. Now look at the connection that he makes between the suffering of believers and the suffering of Jesus. Look at verse 18. He says there, For Christ also hath one suffered for sins. Christ also suffered. So once again, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Because he suffered as well. Not not because he did any evil things, but because we did evil things. He always does whatever is good and right and just. That is Jesus. And so he also suffered because of the good that he did. And Peter points out, That he took our place by saying there in verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. He suffered for our sins, for ours, so that he could bring us to God, Peter says there. Isn't that amazing? I find that amazing. Now, uh, before we go into our text for today, because that is where we left off last week, let's just bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you for being with us today. We thank you, Lord, that we can open up our Bibles, that we can sing your praises, Lord. We thank you that we can have great fellowship with each other, encourage each other, each other Lord, and share testimonies, Lord. I heard a great testimony this morning. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for being with us, and thank you that... Um, That there's never a time, Lord, that we approach you and approach your word with an open heart and open minds. That we don't learn anything, that we don't see anything in our lives that are at fault or anything like that, Lord. You you always come and speak to us. And so we ask that you will do that again today. That you will prick our hearts, Lord. And um, that we may learn more about you today. We thank you for this opportunity. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's start reading there in verse 18. He says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. That's the gospel, folks. It it contains the gospel. And and to to actually get that, let's, let's just get the... The entire thought that Peter is trying to grab a hold of here, and that that is when we read the first verse and the very last verse of this section. So let's read verse 18 and then verse 22, and you will see what I mean. He says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Verse 22, Who is gone into heaven, and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So we've cut out all of those other things that are going on here and we will address those. But just to show you what Peter's main point here is, is he's talking about the gospel, he's talking about the victory of Christ. You see there, he he talked about the death and the resurrection of Christ there in verse 18. And then in verse 22, he goes on to talk about the ascension of Jesus, You know, when he ascended into heaven um, on that day and now he is sitting, right now, he is sitting on the right hand of God, that right hand of power. And so that's his point, that you may suffer unjustly and you may go through the most terrible sufferings and it may uh, even cause you to die because of it. But through it, throughout it all, you can still achieve, or God can still achieve a victory right there in the middle of it all. That's the point here. And we, we spoke about some of it last time, last week, when, when we looked at this passage and We looked at how thorough Jesus' payment was for our sins. So if you weren't able to listen to that lesson, I would definitely encourage you. Um, It's very interesting, and it's very, um, wow, edifying. That's the word, edifying. It really builds your faith. But we spoke about that Jesus suffered and he died, as as Peter says in verse 18, only once for our sins. And that was enough to, to allow... Uh, To allow us to finally go to God. And we got through the first half of verse 18, so let's continue uh, from the second half. Uh, I'm just going to read the entire verse until the point where we're going to start. He says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And here it is being put to death in the flesh. And this is an important fact to mention Jesus really did die on the cross. Well, I know some of you may roll your eyes at that and say, yes, of course, we know that. We, know, we, know, we knew we he die on the cross. But, you know, not everybody's convinced about that. Um, there have been critics, and I'm sure there are still um, right now, that try to argue against Jesus' resurrection by saying, well, he never died in the first place. Um, so, so you see how that can work. If, if he never died, well, then, of course, he never could be resurrected. And, and that's what they're trying to say. They say that instead of dying, Jesus must have fell unconscious somehow um, on the cross because of all the suffering, all the blood loss, you know, all the trauma that he went through. He must have fainted uh, and have been in some sort of a you know, semi-coma or something. And then when he was laid in the tomb, later on, the coolness of the tomb revived him and he was able to unwrap himself and walk out of that tomb um, That is the so-called swoon hypothesis, if you've ever heard about that. To swoon means to faint. So it's a theory or a hypothesis that says, well, Jesus only fainted. Now, that's, of course, nonsense, all right? And and I will tell you why. I'm not just going to say it's nonsense. I'll tell you why. You need to keep in mind that the Roman soldiers that put Jesus through his suffering and that, uh, you know, all of that, they were killing machines, They knew what they were doing. They knew how to make somebody suffer. They were trained for that. And they they also knew how to execute somebody. They knew exactly how to do that because they did that all the time. They knew. And by the the time that Jesus had to carry up his cross to Golgotha, he was basically already ripped to shreds because of the scourging that he went through. Now, for those of you that don't know what, what a scourge is, It is a type of whip that has nine braided leather straps, uh, you know, that comes out of it. You've got basically this handle with this nine braided straps. And inside these braided straps are are some um, pieces of metal and also pieces of bone, you know, a bunch of sharp things that were woven in that. And that is what they used to whip Jesus with. Now you can just imagine for yourself, every time when that Roman soldier pulls back and he hits Jesus, this thing would grab a hold of his flesh. And every time he would rip back and it will rip out a piece of flesh. Every time, every single blow, that would happen. He would grab hold and rip out, grab hold and rip out. And Folks, he was ripped open. And he obviously sustained a massive amount of blood loss through, through that already. After that, he had to carry up his own cross to Golgotha. That's not an easy thing to do. Uh, Many of us won't even be able to do that when we're just healthy. It's a heavy thing. He was nailed to that big piece of wood with, with big nails, metal nails through his hands and through his feet. And then they made that cross stand upright with him just hanging there on those nails, just hanging. Now you can think for yourself that while he hung there, the blood is still pouring out of him, you know, throughout every wound. And obviously with the, these new holes through his hands and feet, especially the feet, the blood would drain out there continuously. It will just go out there because it, it, it doesn't have a return to come back. And that, that's the one part of it. Besides all of that, he would have had a lot of trouble breathing while he was there on the cross, you know. But that's what happens when all of your weight is just hanging over like that, you know, the way that you would hang on a cross. Um, I actually read an article about a man that did some research and he had his research assistants tie him to a cross so that he could feel what it feels like to hang like that. And That's also the thing he explained and I've read that it, it actually stops, that you, it, it makes exhaling a lot more difficult. So, while you're hanging there, now obviously, sorry, I told you I'm not going to move but I've moved. <laughs> but, when, you, when, you, when they put him there on the cross, your knees are bent slightly, all right, so that you can push up to, to gasp for air, and then you will come back. And you will push up and pull yourself up on these nails and gasp for air. And um, you, you can just imagine what that must have done. But, but that's also done to prolong the suffering. That, that was the point of the cross. And Jesus ha- hung there... For six long hours until he finally died. Six hours. You see, crucifixion was designed to, be, to let the one being crucified die an agonizing death. That was the point of this thing. And it was extremely successful in that. But then we also read in John 19 verse 31 that the Jews went to Pilate and they, they wanted to make sure that, that the bodies of Jesus and the criminals that were crucified with him uh, didn't stay on the cross you know, until the next day, well actually until the evening because in the evening they started a, a, a special Sabbath. So they wanted these bodies to be taken down. And so some soldiers were sent to these crosses and they, they started to break the legs of those criminals that were crucified um, alongside Jesus. Now, the reason for breaking the legs, obviously, is you can't push up anymore. So you just hang there, you suffocate, and you die fairly quickly. It's not hours anymore. It becomes maybe a few minutes, um, maybe less even. And that, that was the point of that. And when they came to Jesus, well, they saw that he was already dead. The guy, these guys knew what it looks like when somebody is dead. But just to make sure, one of the soldiers... Took a spear and he pierced Jesus' side. And when he did that, blood and water came out. And that's a physical sign of death. Everything has shut down inside. It's done. He was dead. And more than this, or ex- extra to this, I would say, um, even Jesus' enemies didn't doubt that he was dead. They knew he was. You know, they were more concerned about the things that he said about his resurrection. <laughs> We read in Matthew 27, verse 62 to 66, um, that the chief priests remembered that Jesus always said, Well, he's going to die, but three days later he's going to rise again from the dead. So they went to Pilate and said, Pilate, we have a problem. <laughs> All right? This man said he was going to rise again from the dead in three days' time. So please give us a soldier, or, or you know, a watch, the Bible says, but a soldier, to, um, and station him there in front of this grave. And. Um, because otherwise the people will just go further down into this heresy, this, these false teachings of this man. And Pilate said, that's fine, he'll give them a guard for the three days. And the guard went, and the chief priests and Pharisees went, and they also sealed the tomb just to make sure you know, nobody steals this body, because that was the point. They, w- they didn't want to, um, I, th- I don't think I said that, but they didn't want the disciples to come at night when nobody's looking, steal the body and act as if, Jesus actually rose from the dead. So they wanted to avoid that. Now, if, if all of this is true, folks, Jesus most definitely died on the cross. I don't, I don't think there's any doubting, or there's no doubt about that. We can't doubt that. But I find it interesting that people would go so far as to start to doubt whether or not Jesus actually died to disprove the resurrection. And I think the reason for that is because the evidence... For the resurrection of Christ is so overwhelming and it's so convincing that they need to try and find some other ad- avenue to say that, well, no, Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. So that, that was interesting. But the next thing here in verse 18, uh, in our lesson for today, he says they "...being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit." That's the resurrection, right? He was quickened by the Spirit. He was made alive again by the Spirit. Folks, without the resurrection, the Christian faith is essentially a waste of time. It's a waste of time. Because if Jesus stayed dead, then there's no use in having any faith in him. You know, Paul writes about that in First Corinthians 15. He says there in verse 13, I'll just read it to you, that if there be no resurrection of the dead, because he would, a bunch of people came to the Corinthians and they told them there is no such thing as the resurrection at all, not... not Uh, not even the resurrection of Jesus, but not even anybody else will ever rise from the dead. So he says, if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Because as believers, folks, we are promised that since Christ rose from the dead, we will also rise again from the dead. That's the promise. It's because he rose. But if Christ didn't rise from the dead, Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Your sins have not been paid for yet. You're going to hell, all of you, if Christ didn't rise again from the dead. Everything, everything about the Christian faith relies on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything, because if Jesus died and he never rose again from the dead? It means sin won, death won, Satan won, and Jesus lost. That's what it means. You know, the g- word gospel, when we say we're going to preach the gospel, we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, it actually means good news. It comes from the word good news. And that's very fitting, isn't it? I think it is. I, I-, I love that it's called good news. You know, Many people think gospel is just a musical genre. Okay, it's not. <laughs> All right? Because you see, the the good news is that Jesus suffered and he died for our sins on our behalf. And if we put our faith in him, that he paid for our sins and that he rose again from the dead, our sins are taken away from us and his righteousness gets applied to us. We saw that last week in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. He was made sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Folks, that is the gospel. That's the gospel. But if there is no resurrection, Christianity is pointless. It's idiotic actually. Because... Then Jesus was just some unfortunate man that lived 2,000 years ago, and he, he was unjustly persecuted and tortured and, and executed in the end, and, and that's it. Then his suffering and his death was meaningless. It, it really has no bearing on us. It's, it's just a good story to tell. You know, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, that if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Why? Well, because as in the context of our text here in First Peter, if I may apply it to that, when we suffer unjustly because of our faith in him, it has no point if he didn't rise again from the dead. Because then we only have hope in him in this life, you know. In fact, it would be a very dumb thing, a very stupid thing to suffer because of your faith in him, and perhaps even die for that faith in him. It's idiotic, really. But we know Christ did rise from the dead, didn't he? He did rise from the dead. Uh, and it is something that Peter also makes abundantly clear here in, in the end of verse 18. He says he was quickened by the Spirit. He did rise again from the dead, and Peter would know because he was one of the witnesses. He saw him. He saw him. You know, I've mentioned this a long time ago um, when I taught a series on 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection. You know, it's a wonderful chapter. You can go ahead and read that about the resurrection of Christ, what it means, what it means if he didn't rise, and what it means, you know, that he rose. (laughs) Again, sorry, my English is failing me today. But I sometimes think that we as Christians really don't make a big enough deal about Jesus' resurrection. I, I really do. I get that um, idea because when we talk about what Jesus did on the cross and that he died for our sins, we say all that, you know, but when we stop there, it feels to me like, well, well we're leaving him in the grave. We're not telling the entire story because if he just stayed there in the grave like I just explained to you, it's, it's pointless, really. It really is. We need to tell people about the resurrection because It is because of the resurrection that we can have great hope in our suffering. It is because of the resurrection that we can actually be saved. And that we can have hope in Christ. So when we preach the gospel, we should be sure to always mention the resurrection. It's so important. It's really important. Folks, like I just said, because of his resurrection... Um, all of our, any suffering that we go through, unjust suffering because of Him or because of our faith or just because of doing good, it suddenly gets meaning. And, and, and it helps us to have hope within that suffering because of the resurrection. Because the worst thing that can happen to us here on earth, there's one thing that's the worst, and that's that we die. That's it. But if we have hope in Christ, If we are saved, well, we have hope in the resurrection. We know that we're going to rise again from the dead. Is that worst thing so bad anymore? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. Because we're looking past that. We're looking past that. That's why we don't panic about a worldwide pandemic or anything like that. Yes, we're careful. Yes, we do what we must do. But we continue with our mission. We continue with our faith. Because we're not afraid to die. Christ rose again from the dead, and in him we are more than conquerors. So if he conquered the the dead, or death itself, he conquered death itself, well then we are more than conquerors in him. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) I find that amazing. Folks, we need to preach the resurrection whenever we preach the gospel. Now, back in verse 18, Jesus died physically, but while his body was lying there in the grave... He was still alive spiritually. Okay, you get that. It's not uh, like Jesus somehow ceased to exist. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. Like uh, Peter says there, he was quickened by the Spirit. But I think that begs the question, what happened in between? (laughs) You know, after he died and before he rose again from the dead. What happened during those three days? And Peter actually gives us some insight on that in verse 19. Mm, Sorry, just need to refuel. He says there, verse 19, By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Who's the by which? Well, that's the previous three words, by the spirit. So by the spirit, he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. So while his dead body was lying there in the tomb, he willingly went to, to preach to these spirits in prison. Nobody made him do it. He went to do that. Now, this brings up another few questions, such as, well, who were these spirits? <laughs> all right? Where is this, um, this prison, and what did Jesus preach to them? Yeah. So, let's deal with them one by one. Who were these spirits? Well, first off, they weren't humans at all. all right? They weren't dead humans. They weren't humans that were alive. Peter tells us that there in verse 20, he, he tells us actually who these spirits were. Which sometime, talking about the spirits, which sometime were disobedient when the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. All right? So we get a few things here. First, Peter tells us that these spirits are in prison because, he says, they were sometime disobedient which sometimes were disobedient, okay? So we get that. And he tells us that the uh, disobedience specifically happened around about the time of Noah, in the days of Noah, he says there. So that's when it happened. So to learn more about that, we need to go all the way back to the days of Noah. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 6. You can keep your place here. Or leave it. I have a confession to make. Whenever a preacher says keep your place, I never do. Um, (laughs) Yeah, because they sometimes get long-winded on that. And then, yeah, anyway. (laughs) All right, Genesis chapter 6. That's the first book in the Bible. Um, All right, Genesis 6. Enough jokes. All right, verse 1. He says, And it came to pass... When men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men. And they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. So by this time, as you know, Satan and his angels already rebelled against God and they fell from heaven. They were kicked out of heaven, to be honest. Uh, Satan himself was already successful in deceiving Eve in the garden, and then in turn, obviously for Adam as well, to to cause Adam to sin rather, and dumping everything in sin. And from then on, Satan and his cohorts were busy tempting people to further corrupt the world, corrupt themselves and corrupt the world. And here in Genesis chapter 6, we find the most terrible thing that they did to corrupt man. And that was to physically come down and marry the daughters of men and produce offspring from that unnatural union. Jude tells us in Jude verse 6 that these angels left their own habitation. So they overstepped the boundaries that God gave them in which they were allowed to operate um, and and supposed to live. And so they rebelled against God by leaving this realm where the spirits live and entering the realm where humans live because it's it's two different places. Now, how were they actually able to do that? Well, to be honest, I honestly don't know. But these angels saw saw these women... And they found them beautiful in some sort of perverse and evil way. And so they married them. And it was not a forced marriage. Okay, if you if you go look at the original language behind this, it's not a forced marriage, it's not rape, it's not fornication. They took them as wives. They married them. And this then somehow influenced when when they took these women as wives, to influence the, the generations that came after them in some sort of wicked and evil way. And So let's read in verse 5. It says there, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. So you see, it's a snowball effect. It just kept getting worse and worse. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Can you imagine that? Can you just imagine that? That every imagination of the thoughts of their hearts were just evil all the time. You know I must say that sometimes when I read the news or I hear somebody say about something evil that's going on in the world I always always think about this verse you know just evil continually that every imagination of the thoughts of these people's hearts are just evil evil from the morning till night continually that's all they think about just evil 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 now Jesus told us that in the last days it would start to look like that you know like like the days of Noah But even when we read about all this evil and we hear about it, I honestly don't think we're there yet. (laughs) It it can get much worse, and and it will. You know, whatever was going on here in the days of Noah was much worse than we're experiencing now. But don't worry, we're definitely heading that way. We're on the highway. Look at verse 6. He says there, "And, And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him. At his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Look at verse 11. He says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. I will destroy them. So God told Noah, Go build an ark. The rain is coming. And the effect that these fallen angels had at, on these people and that affected the... The future generations of those people were so great that not even 120 years of Noah's preaching, telling people about the, the judgment that is to come and how to escape this judgment, just get in the boat. <laughs> That's all they had to do. Not even 120 years was enough for them to come and to, and to be rescued, to be saved in that ark. Their hearts were so full of evil. Their thoughts were so full of evil. And so yeah, that, that answers the question of who these spirits were uh, that, pre- that Jesus preached to while his body lay in the, in, in the tomb. But Peter says that, and we can come back to 1 Peter chapter 3. Some of you held your place, I know you did. Alright, 1 Peter 3, that's good. Verse, 18, oh, sorry, verse 19, he says, By which also he went and preached unto the spirits, we saw the, who they were, in prison. That's where they were. So... Where is this prison? Now, please turn your Bible so long to the Book of Jude. That's the book just before Revelation, The Book of Jude, and we will learn a little bit more about this prison. And then we will also go to Second Peter 2 if you want to get that so long. Um, this time you could have really held your place in First Peter, <laughs> anyway. All right. Now the book of the Revelation. Uh, calls this prison the bottomless pit. We get that in Revelation 9 and Revelation 20. We won't look at that today, but in Revelation 20, we read that that's where where the devil, where Satan and his angels are going to be bound up for a thousand years while Jesus is reigning here on the earth, you know, that millennium period before that great war at the end. And then we also read here in Jude, you can get Jude chapter 2, Okay, I made you look. All right, there's only one chapter. Um, <laughs> Jude, chapter t- <laughs> Jude chapter 1, I guess. Uh, and <laughs> I just wanted to test you. Verse 6. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, you remember we talked about this, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So these angels are chained up in the bottomless pit with everlasting chains, and they've been there for a long time, folks, since Genesis 6. They've been there, and they, and they will be waiting there until the day of judgment comes. That's where they're going to stay, those specific fallen angels. Now, Peter gives us a little bit more, so you can come to Second Peter chapter 2. This time there really is a chapter 2. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, Verse 4, Second Peter 2 verse 4, Peter writes, I'm going to skip the first two words because it has to do with the context, the for if, just so that it sounds right in our minds when we read it. He says, God spared not the angels that sinned, okay, we read about them just now in Jude, the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Sounds a lot like Jude, eh? And, and it makes sense because that's what happened. So let's put, put these two together and see what we get. So these angels overstepped their boundaries that God set for them. They left their own habitation, as, as Jude said, by, by um, taking those women in Genesis chapter 6 as their wives and obviously procreating as well. And by doing that, they sinned against God. They rebelled against God. So God cast them down to the bottomless pit in hell that we just read about. And he had them chained up there until the day of judgment. That's where they are and that's what they deserve. And they're in in torments every day there in that bottomless pit. So back in 1 Peter chapter 3, we know who these spirits are. We also know where Jesus went to preach them, where they are right now in that prison. But our final question, of course, is what did Jesus preach to them? And this is where people get confused with this text. Um, Well, one of the places that people get confused because some people think that Jesus went to preach the gospel to these spirits so that they can get saved. But we already saw that, that they are chained up in prison until the Day of Judgment. And besides that, angels can't get saved. The, the, only humans can, get, can be saved. There is no payment that was made for angels so that they can be saved. There is no atonement, if you remember last week's lesson. So that rules that out. And I should also mention, you know, whenever we read about the prophet preaching um, in the Bible, it's not always, I want to say, a positive message of how you can be saved or delivered or anything like that. Not always. It, there are those. But then a lot of times it's also preaching condemnation. We read that as well. So it's not always that positive slant. And I think that's why people have this idea that, well, maybe Jesus went to give them a chance to be saved. That's not it. He didn't go there to preach about salvation. You know, the word that is translated here as preached has a synonym, or it could also be translated as to herald or to make a proclamation. To herald, you know, we know know about the potch herald. So what what is a herald, all right? So back in ancient times, you know, back when they didn't have telephones or TVs or any any of these things, um, a herald was somebody who came to town as a representative of some ruler, some king or something. And wherever he went, he would make a public announcement about whatever victories this ruler um has achieved you know during the last how, how many ever months or years or whatever it may be you know you've seen that in some of these movies you know these guys would come and they would hammer a a, a piece of parchment or something to a tree and they say "Year, here year, here you know listen to what this king and that king that you've seen some of that Th- that's a herald and so this that's basically what jesus did we read in, in Colossians two verse fifteen, a wonderful verse. Now I'll just read it for you here. Colossians two verse fifteen. That on the cross Jesus spoiled principalities and powers, and he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. <laughs> this is the message that Jesus went to preach to those angels that were or those spirits in prison, the angels, fallen angels. He preached to them that he won the victory. He won. You see, since the very beginning, when Satan fell, he was at war with God. And he wanted to somehow overthrow whatever God was doing. And it started there in the Garden of Eden when he he tempted Eve to sin. And you will remember what God told him, you know, after the whole thing came out and God came to speak to Adam and Eve and, and Satan was there as well. God told him there in Genesis 3 verse 15 that one day... The seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. It's going to crush it. It's going to destroy you. One day, that's going to happen. And from then on, this devil, Satan, kept on fighting the work of God. And he tried to, tried to stop that seed of the woman from coming into the world. So throughout Old, Old Testament times, and you can go read your Bible, he tried to wipe out the people of God over and over and over again in various ways. But that didn't work. And then in the New Testament, when Jesus came, he tried to tempt Jesus to do his will, to do Satan's will, uh, instead of the will of God. Uh, as we know, that, that didn't work either. And when that didn't work, well, he tried to have Jesus killed. I mean, that, that should basically do it. And a few times, Jesus actually escaped a mob that wanted to throw him off a cliff or throw him, you know, stone him to death or, or something like that, that wanted to kill him. That didn't work we know that and then in the end he went into Judas and he used one of the 12 one of the closest people to Jesus um, to have Jesus delivered to the Jewish leaders that finally riled up a mob and they had him executed on the cross I'm sure that Satan and his angels celebrated when that happened we don't see that in the Bible but I'm sure that happened they must have celebrated. I mean, they were finally able to overthrow the plans of God. That prophecy that God made in Genesis 3 verse 15 didn't come to pass. I, I think they were laughing. I really do. Now Jesus was dead. Well, Jesus' head was bruised. <laughs> not, not Satan's, according to their logic. And I'm sure that the news reached those fallen angels in the bottomless pit that Jesus is dead And I'm sure they were starting to celebrate because they thought, well, somehow um, they must have gotten the keys of the bottomless pit from Jesus to let us out because we've been here for a long time. And as they were celebrating, Jesus shows up. (laughs) Burst their bubble. (laughs) Jesus shows up to inform them that he won. He won. And he announces to them, Not in a smug way, not in a childish way, but he announces to them that he won the victory over sin and over death, over Satan and over every single one of them. He won. They couldn't overthrow him or the plans of God. They never could and they never will. And so they knew that they would still be chained up. Until the judgment came, they knew the judgment was sure. So there at the cross, just to tie this all together, we see an unjust suffering happening. An innocent person was executed on that day. Completely innocent. More innocent than any other man has ever been. And right there in the middle of it, there's a great victory. Right there. Jesus won that victory over death, over sin, over Satan and all his angels, his fallen angels. And so Peter is telling us here that when we are suffering unjustly and are being persecuted for doing what is good and right, well, God can still be victorious right there in the middle of that situation. He did that before and he will do that again. Let's pray. Father, I so much enjoy talking about these things and learning about these things, and I I really hope that it is encouraging to to those that are here today. And um, we want to thank you today and praise you for what you've done, for that thorough victory that you've achieved. It's amazing, Lord. It's amazing to think because of that, We can go free by faith in you. It's amazing to think that one day, because you rose from the dead, we will also rise from the dead. And it's amazing to think that we will see you and be with you, speak to you face to face. What a day that's going to be. Lord, please keep on ministering to our hearts today. Help us not to forget whatever we learned today, whatever you started in our hearts. We thank you for this beautiful day that we could have with your people. And we ask that you will please uh, go with us, keep on teaching us more about these things and other things, Lord. Thank you for all that you do, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and our Lord. Amen. Amen.